This is The Blunt Doctor Show on a Wednesday. And as we know, Wednesdays are always the best shows on this show. Number one, because I've recorded more on Wednesdays, I think, than any other day. I don't really have a reason for that, except that I think that during football season, there's no chance that there would be a football game on Tuesday or Wednesday, so it's very likely that I end up recording on those days. And because I'm a procrastinator who is lazy on top of that, is procrastination and lazy the same thing? I don't know. Anyway, the point is, I'm both. And I would always end up doing something the last day I could, rather than the first day I could, hence recording on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. But... It's also the time that I would come back from random hiatuses and always show up on a Wednesday, and I don't know why. Wednesdays bring the best out of me in terms of podcasting. There's probably no one else in the world who could say the first part of that sentence at all. I don't think Wednesday brings out the best in anyone else but me. On Wednesdays, the blood doctor is the absolute best person on earth. So next time it's a Wednesday, you think to yourself, holy shit, I bet the blood doctor is killing it today because I am because it's Wednesday and that's my day and I don't know why and I don't choose for it to be my day and I don't make that choice it's not an active thing I just have a lot of goddamn energy on Wednesdays it's really weird and part of it probably has to do with the phenomenal performance by the Phoenix Suns last night most specifically Mikhail Bridges if you are familiar with Suns Twitter you are very familiar with the Suns fans making Mikhail Bridges go viral simply by typing the words Mikhail Bridges, providing no context, no explanation, just typing Mikhail Bridges. And I very, very seriously considered, I really did, titling this episode Mikhail Bridges, coming on, just saying the words Mikhail Bridges, playing intro and outro music and leaving. I very seriously considered that. I really, really did. That's how good of a performance Mikhail put on last night. And it would have been really funny to Suns Twitter and all that, but I decided I actually wanted to talk about it instead. 31 points, 4 blocks, 4 for 4 from 3. That's basically like a Kawhi Leonard performance that Mikhail put up last night. He defended like a motherfucker, he scored constantly, and he hit all of his threes and made so many big baskets at clutch moments. Chris Herring, after the game, tweeted, I want to buy a franchise and make Mikhail Bridges the franchise player. And today demonstrated why you could absolutely do that. Mikhail is a winning player. He is a two-way winning player. He is a monster. I still don't understand how he got less than a max contract on his extension. I don't get it. Like the idea that Michael Porter Jr. is worth more than Mikhail Bridges is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. That contract that Mikhail signed is going to be one of the most valuable contracts of all time. The best sports contract of all time is Steph Curry's first extension, okay? Because while teams have gotten championship on rookie contracts and things like that, you know, those are slotted. Rookie contracts are, um, you know, they're they're predetermined. Uh, It's not like the old days when you're drafted and, you know, an NFL team just negotiates your contract. Those rookie contracts in basically every sport are predetermined. Baseball, I think there's still a little bit of signing bonus negotiations and things like that, but... um, you know, your, your, your salaries are still pretty slotted in the early years. Now, there is more negotiation in baseball in terms of what your early salary will be, more negotiation range, but you're still getting paid way more in the early years of basketball and football. You may get poor, paid more in the end in baseball. That's a whole other discussion. But the point is, for the purposes of this discussion about valuable contracts, I'm really not talking about um, 
you know, rookie contracts because yes, inherently they're very valuable if you have someone who performs like an all pro as a rookie, but you didn't like negotiate that contract. And the Steph Curry extension, which was four years and 44 million, is one of the best extensions of all time. Steph had ankle issues at that point. And so there was, you know, there was not consensus that he was going to be a star player at all. And, you know, some people thought that he would be a good shooter, but that he would never be healthy. Other people thought he just couldn't be a winning player. He didn't have enough strength. He was just simply a shooter. And, of course, Golden State went on to win multiple championships on that contract. Steph became the best shooter of all time. You know, for $11 million a year, they were getting like $35 million in production. And you just basically don't get that. That is one of the best contracts of all time, if not the best sports contract of all time. And this Mikhail Bridges contract that the Suns have signed is going to end up there. You're looking at four years and $90 million. Just over $22.5 million a season, you know, with all the change and everything worked out. And I know that Mikhail Bridges is not Steph Curry. I understand that. But what I'm saying is there are contracts that are signed that when you look at them, you're like, holy shit, this is just below market value. And the max for, you know, Steph would have been, you know, I don't remember the exact max at the time, but it, it wouldn't have been, you know, the max today of 20 or $30 million. Uh, or 25 or 30 million, it would have been like closer to somewhere around 20 or maybe just over 20 or just under it. So it was a major discount. And that's what I'm saying here with Mikhail is that he's getting 22 million a year. The max for him is like 40 million or something like that. Like you're getting like half the money. It's an unbelievable bargain. 35 million, whatever the hell it is. He may not qualify for the, the, the ultra max for, you know, players coming off their rookie contracts, whatever it is. There's a lot of minutia to these things. Um, With him qualifying, he should be on the all-defense team this year, though, so he might. The point is, it's an immense value of a contract. I'm talking myself all over the place here because it's just so up and down because it's incredible what a value the deal is. Mikhail is about to be playing for $22.5 million a season, providing $40 million of value a season for four years. You're locked into that. It is an incredible contract and it hasn't even started yet. And it's just, we talk about Booker, we talk about Aiton, we talk about Chris Paul, but Mikhail Bridges might be the most important player because he is the best defender on the team and he's capable of scoring 30 and he's capable of blocking so many shots and he's capable of shooting the fucking lights out from deep. Mikhail can do everything. Mikhail can do literally everything, but his greatest skill is that he doesn't have to. Okay? Mikhail Bridges does not have to have the ball. Mikhail Bridges does not have to be the focal point of the offense. He doesn't even have to be defending the other team's best player to cause havoc. Now, he usually is, but when he's not, he's still causing havoc. He's still fucking things up. He's still picking passing lanes. He's still blocking shots from the weak side like Mikhail is just Mikhail is Mikhail Bridges he is a super Swiss army knife all around do everything megastar super utility monster he's everything if you need a player to do something Mikhail Bridges can do it and last night he literally won that game for Phoenix he made clutch shot after clutch shot he stole so many passes, blocks. So, I mean, he just, Mikhail's everywhere. He's all over everything. You, 
I'm out of I'm out of ways to talk about this. Like I feel like I'm just sitting here repeating myself because it is truly one of the best games I've ever seen. It was easily Mikhail's best game he's ever played of his life. I don't think that there's any way to say. I mean, he was good in the playoffs last year. He had a couple of really good games. But last night, he literally dominated both ends of the court. He controlled the game. It was, it, was a, it was a classic Kawhi Leonard game. It really was. It's the kind of game that we saw Kawhi play when he was with the Spurs early in his career before he went to the Clippers and, you know, started being the focal point of, you know, every offensive possession and all these things. This is, this is what Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard was. That sort of classic super glue. And Mikhail is that. And it's just, it's an exciting time to be a Suns fan because the major difference between Kawhi Leonard and Mikhail Bridges is that Mikhail actually likes playing for the Suns. Mikhail really seems to love Phoenix. He has adopted this city. He wanted badly to play for the 76ers, obviously. He grew up out there um, in, in that area. He played at Villanova. His mother works for the 76ers. He was drafted by the 76ers. And then they instantly traded him to Phoenix. And he never forgot that. And he has fallen in love with Phoenix. And we have fallen in love with him. And there is not a single goddamn Phoenix Suns fan that would have a bad thing to say about Mikhail Bridges. I have a lot of fucking anger at Suns fans who want to talk shit about DeAndre Ayton. And that shit is annoying. But you're not going to find any one of those who have a goddamn bad thing to say about Mikhail Bridges. Nobody has a bad thing to say about Mikhail Bridges. Opposing players don't have bad things to say about Mikhail Bridges. It is awesome to watch this man play basketball. And the fact that he plays for my team, that's life, baby. And in any case, I've been listening to tons of bullshit about, well, this is just like the We Believe Warriors and the Pelicans are a horrible matchup for these sons and Brandon Ingram is Kevin Durant and blah, 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 Brandon Kingram, blah, blah, blah. Tired of this bullshit. And last night showed this series is over. And by the way, at the end of the game, Devin Booker was running to the Pelicans bench saying, I'm back and screaming at them. Heard that from a lot of people on Twitter. So if Devin Booker is back for game six, this series is fucking iced. And by the way, if he's already healthy enough to be back for game six, then my man was never that hurt anyway, and everything was precautionary. We back, baby. And we are ready to take this thing to the next motherfucking level. I'm so tired of just uh, so much bullshit everywhere. So much bullshit from so many different people who want to talk shit about the Suns. I don't know why you all hate the Suns so much. So many people hate the Suns. We've been to one finals. We're not even a dynasty. People hate us like we're the fucking warriors. Very strange, but hey. They hate us because they ain't us, baby. They want to be us. You want to be in our position. You want to have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton. You want to have that roster. You want to have Jay Crowder, the Superman, the boss man. You want to be the Suns. You want to have campaign. You want to have Torrey Craig. You want to have Aaron Holiday as a fucking depth piece. Most teams would die for Aaron Holiday to be their backup point guard. Some teams could use him as a starter. We got him as our fucking third point guard. James Jones has built an incredible roster that is insanely deep, and the Suns are going to win the championship this summer. That's fucking it. You know who's not going to win the championship this summer? James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay? We are on the cusp of them potentially letting this thing get to back to 3-3. They had a 3-0 lead, and now Doc Rivers and his power of blowing everything are potentially about to let this thing, you know, just get right back out of hand. Now... They could just win this this thing and this series 
4-2, we forget about it, whatever. But if ever a team was going to blow a 3-0 lead, wouldn't it be Philadelphia? And if ever a team was going to come back from 3-0, wouldn't it be the Raptors? Wouldn't it be against James Harden? Wouldn't it be right now when Joel Embiid is, is injured? Joel Embiid is injured. I feel like I'm slurring my goddamn words this morning. I'm not even drinking, folks. I'm just very excited and very sober and very, very soberly excited for Philadelphia to choke and become the first team in NBA history to blow a 3-0 lead. And let me tell you something, folks. If you think Raptors Twitter slandered the 76ers before for the Kawhi Leonard four-bounce shot, if they come back from 3-0, just go ahead and pack up the city of Philadelphia. Just go ahead and shut it down, contract it. Not the basketball team. Shut down the city of Philadelphia because they'll never fucking hear the end of it, ever. Anyone from the state of Pennsylvania will never be able to go to the country of Canada because, hey, 3-0, 3-0, huh? Huh? About that Raptor 76er series, huh? You just pack it up. You just shut down the city of, of Philadelphia. You could contract Pennsylvania. In fact, we'll just make New York bigger. Give them some more dumbass sports teams because there's going to be no more need for the city of Philadelphia if they choke away this one. Okay? It's one thing to blow a 3-0 lead in other sports, but in basketball, man, losing four games in a row in a playoff series to a team that you were up 3-0 against is basically inexcusable. No, no, no. It's not basically inexcusable. It's completely fucking inexcusable. And if they do this, if they complete this tank when Daryl Morey has been doing laps about acquiring James Harden and all this bullshit, the, the level of slander that Philadelphia will receive, I don't know if it will ever have been seen before. All of the 3-1 jokes in the finals and all those things, they won't matter. All of this trash talk that... KD is receiving for having just been swept at the hands of the Celtics. It won't matter. Blowing a 3-0 lead to the fucking injured Raptors when you just acquired James Harden and did nothing but talk about a championship. The, the internet will come for you. And Joel Embiid knows all about that. But it will be bad. <laughs> and if Ben, ben Simmons thinks he was cyberbullied before, oh, that, oof, boy, he... uh. I don't man. I don't even know. I, I I wouldn't have a phone if I were Ben Simmons right now. I'm sure he doesn't. He probably I, I I'm sure he just ignores that shit. But boy, if if Ben thought he was cyberbullied, then wait till James Harden would be getting this heat from 76ers fans if they you know just completely fell apart. And by the way, James Harden's done, right? James Harden's done. He's he's not an All NBA player anymore. Maybe he'll be like a role player. Maybe he'll be a solid guard you know he can be a starter he's done as like an impact all nba player i don't know if he's hurt i don't know if he's just lost his edge james harden is not who james harden was and he's he, it doesn't look like he's ever going to be that guy again and i still hear people talking about him in terms of oh he's a max player and he's gonna get this super mega contract from philadelphia or but you know someone else will swoop blah blah, blah whatever give him the money fine but James Harden is done being the kind of guy who can just guide a team to 50 wins on his own. He doesn't have it anymore. And I, I again, I don't know if it's conditioning. I don't know if it's an injury. But the man isn't the same. And he isn't the type of person who's like going to be in the gym every day to fix it and rehab harder than everyone and put in the hours. That's not James Harden. It's never been James Harden. 
His thing was, I don't have to do those things and I'm still elite. I can go to the strip club. I can fly to Vegas. I don't have to fucking go to the gym every day. I can do my thing, live my life, and still be an NBA superstar. The rubber hits the road on that one again, eventually, man. Eventually, you don't get to just do anything that you want to. That's how life works for all of us, unfortunately. And James Harden has hit that point, and thus far, he doesn't seem able to adjust to it at all. He doesn't seem like he has any ability to really make any change. I mean, he's not a bad basketball player. He's not suddenly a net negative like James, um, like Russell Westbrook. My God. Somebody just slapped the shit out of me this morning. Someone just, here, I'm going to, ah, ah, ah. There are three slaps to wake myself up. A little bit of that fucking fresh, freshy fresh. It's like splashing yourself in the face with ice cold water at four in the morning. I literally did just hit myself in the face, by the way. It's not like James Harden is suddenly a net negative like Russell Westbrook was when things went south with him. And suddenly it was like, holy shit, you can't even have this guy on a basketball card. Court. James Harden still has value. He's still an elite passer. He can still shoot. He can still do a lot of things. But as he's a negative on defense and he's not what he was offensively, the idea that he's just going to be the piece that puts Philadelphia over the top, that is simply no longer true. That may have been true two years ago, but it's not true now. And with Joel Embiid already injured, Philadelphia's fucked. I don't know if they're going to you know, completely fall apart and let the Raptors come back and win this series, but there's no way that Philadelphia is even making it out of the second round. So this is going to be yet another season where they completely fell apart. And you can tell me all about, well, this summer after they add more depth and role players and use an exception and but just come on. It's very bad. And we're going to enjoy the meltdown in Philadelphia this summer. Much like we'll be enjoying the meltdown in Utah this summer. But uh, we'll get there in a minute. This is the Raptors team I expected, by the way. Scrappy, fighting, not giving up. Th- those first couple of blowout games... I was surprised. I mean, and I know that there was health issues and everything like that, and that does have a lot to do with it, but Nick Nurse usually finds a way to at least make it a game. And this series originally looked like the Raptors were a fucking G League team that didn't even belong. And we all kind of looked at ourselves and said, okay, well, we all expected the Raptors to be bad this year. We didn't expect them to make the playoffs. Maybe they were just ahead of schedule. That's okay. No problem. Good Raptor season, Scotty Barnes' is rookie of the year. Surprising, by the way. It really surprised me that Scotty Barnes won rookie of the year. Not that he didn't deserve it. I just thought it would go to Evan Mobley. But hey, we had three guys who were worthy of rookie of the year. I'll take it. But the Raptors, this is kind of what I expected. I expected this would be a series. And I think I said Philly in six. And now that's, you know, the shortest possible outcome. So I like it. I like what... We've seen from the Raptors, we know that the future is bright. They've got decisions to make. They've got things to figure out. They still need to figure out, like, how to get a center. (laughs) But you got to love Nick Nurse. And he is someone who I really do respect as a coach. Pretty goddamn good team. And if the 76ers fall apart here, well... I mean, it would be legendary. It would be legendary. It really would. I mean, we all still talk about, I'm a Red Sox fan. 
And people who aren't even Red Sox fans still talk about the Red Sox 2004 ALCS against the Yankees. Because the Yankees had dominated the Red Sox so thoroughly for so long up to that point. And in game three, they absolutely crushed the Red Sox. It was like 18 to three or some shit. And it just looked like it was just going to go on forever. And game four, what Dave Roberts steals the base and everything changes. And now to this day, the Red Sox have been a better team than the Yankees since then. The Yankees have one World Series in that time and the Red Sox have three, I believe. So how much that's what a good baseball fan I am. I have to get three, I believe. Like, God, I'm such a terrible baseball analyst. Don't listen to me on baseball, folks. I know basketball and football. But this would be that. And is the Raptors 76ers rivalry as intense as Yankees Red Sox? No. But the the Kawhi Butler uh series, Kawhi Butler. Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler being two players who are both no longer on their team. Um, that series lives in infamy in, you know, the heads of those fan bases, even though those players are no longer there. Jimmy Butler, you know, ties the game up with seconds remaining. Kawhi Leonard wins the game on a, you know, a last second shot, blah, blah, etc. We all know the outcome, but Raptors fans have been living in 76ers fans heads over that. And if this goes south, just pack up Philly. James Harden's done. Philly's done. Speaking of done, Minnesota blew it again. I'm really disappointed because I picked Minnesota to to win this series. I picked them off the to, to pick them to pull off the upset. And I think for the most part, what I said about them has been proven correct. They're a bad matchup for Memphis. And Memphis has been barely surviving in this series. John Morant goes superhero and wins the game last night on a finger roll. That's why you have superstar players. That's why we have the playoffs. But Minnesota is blowing this series. They've had multiple leads. This is not them just losing. This is blowing the fucking series. And this is why people come after Carl Anthony Towns. This is why Branding went after Carl Anthony Towns on on the last episode he was on. Like... (laughs) People come after Cat because the guy has referred to himself as the greatest shooting big man ever, okay? If you are the greatest shooting big man ever, you can't be doing stuff like this. You can't be missing the playoffs every single year, and when you finally do make it, you're blowing leads in every game. The series isn't done, but the series is done. Maybe they can win the next game and force a game seven and... You know, who knows what happened in a game seven, you know, it's anyone's game. But at a certain point, Carl Anthony Towns deserves the slander that comes for him. Because even in a game last like last night, he was balling. No one else was playing well. He was balling, but it still requires Anthony Edwards to bail him out and nearly send the game to overtime. Because they couldn't hold the lead down the stretch. Because Carl Anthony Towns disappears when the lights are brightest and when things aren't working. And... You can't, and again, I understand that he played well last night. I'm not trying to criticize the, the way that he played yesterday specifically. My point is just that Carl Anthony Towns is not a person who can force the issue when it matters. Carl Anthony Towns is not a guy who can take over the game and say, I got this, we're not losing. That's not who Cat is. And at a certain point, 
all of your scoring and all of your accolades and all of your percentages and all of these things don't matter if you're not a person who can take over in the playoffs. Now, the Timberwolves lucked out. Anthony Edwards is that guy, and he's going to continue to be that guy, and he will grow into that role. But at this point, it's very clear that Anthony Edwards is Batman and Cat is Robin. And that's it, man. That's how it's going to be. And I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to criticize Carl Anthony Towns for how he played yesterday. He was one of the few players who, he was balling, I get it. But my point is, when you are dropping multiple leads in playoff series, and it's the first time you've ever even gotten to the playoff series, and you couldn't even get there before Anthony Edwards, you're not a superstar, you're a supporting player. And that's fine. We are too hard on guys who aren't, Megastars. There's only a handful of those in the league. And we need to stop expecting everyone to be them. And we need to stop treating guys like they're not incredibly valuable when they're not those guys. That cat is not Joel Embiid does not mean he is a bad basketball player. Does not mean that he is not a valuable basketball player. It doesn't mean that he couldn't be a starter on a championship team. He absolutely could be all of those things. But you got to stop expecting him to be the guy. And I think Minnesota has. Minnesota, I think, has realized Anthony Edwards is the guy. Now, that's complicated because he's like 20 or 21, and you're still going to have to figure all of that out. But Cat is Robin, and it becomes more and more clear as the younger guy has to come and try and save them because Cat can't just take over and say, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to hold this lead. And... I know that seems basic and reductive, but sometimes in the playoffs, that's what it is. That's what Chris Paul did for Phoenix the other night. He said, I'm not going to lose this game. And he took over in the fourth quarter and he made everything. He went in the fourth quarter of game three with like nine points and he ended with 28. And he just said, I'm not going to lose this game. We won't be losing today. Not on my watch. Carl Anthony Towns is not capable of that. You know who is capable of that is John Morant. John Morant is capable of saying, I am not going to lose this game. I'm going to win this game. By the way, how laughable is it that Ja won most improved player? <laughs> I'm not trying to say that he didn't improve. He made the leap to superstar. Some people say that's the hardest leap. I've heard that argument. I understand it. My point is just that you're putting a dude who is in the MVP discussion in most improved player. <laughs> that that's a fucking that's an absurd thing to do. And it, it, frankly, it's quite insulting to John Morant to say that he already wasn't a superstar. And I mean, I I understand he took a leap this year, but the argument about Darius Garland makes way more sense. Garland was looking like a dude who might be out of the league. And then this year he looked like a megastar player. That's like way more impressive than being very, very good and then getting very, very, very good. Okay, like John Morant winning most improved player was fucking ridiculous, but whatever. But he is that dude. He is that dude who will say, nope, not losing. And he won't. And Carl Anthony Towns is not that guy. And we're seeing the results of that in this series. And it just has to be laid bare that, you know, for cats, I'm the greatest shooting big man in the world. I'm this, that, and the other. That's all. That's fine. You say whatever you want to. You're the second option. That's what it is. Speaking of second options, Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets not so much, huh? Everyone was talking about how scary it was going to be to play the Nets in the East. Oh, when they're fully formed. Oh, they have two of the best shot makers. Oh, when it comes down to it in the playoffs, blah, 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 blah. Swept. 
And everyone is now declaring that, you know, the Boston Celtics are the best team in the world and nobody on earth could possibly deal with their defense. And it's the greatest defense in the history of the planet. They're playing elite defense for sure. But also they just played a a team that played no games together, didn't actually take the regular season seriously and was an eight seed or, or excuse me, a seven seed for a reason. So it's just, you know, let's give it a little bit of let's just get a little bit of pause before we go ahead and start declaring, you know, the Celtics champions are going to have to get through the East. But I want to be very clear real quick here. I don't agree with Kyrie Irving's stance on vaccinations at all. He's wrong on that. Aside from that, I think Kyrie Irving is a pretty good human. He has stood up for uh, social um, justice issues. He has stood up for mental health issues for workers and for NBA players. He is very well respected among his peers. I think that for the most part, Kyrie Irving is a really good person. Okay? So I want to be really clear about that. I'm not attacking Kyrie Irving the individual. Because I do think that there is... I think that when players get political in sports... And then you go on and talk trash about them. I think there's a perception that you are trashing their politics. I don't like Kyrie's vaccination stance, but I don't have an issue with any of the other stuff he said. I don't like the flat earth stuff, but, you know, when Kyrie's fucking around with people, he's allowed to say whatever he wants. He is very truthful on his stance on the Black Lives Matter issue and social justice issues. He is very truthful when it comes to mental health issues and needing a break, things like that. And I really, really respect those things about Kyrie Irving. I think he's a good person who helps people, who loves people around him, who the people around him have nothing bad to say about. I think Kyrie Irving is a good guy, and I want to be really clear about that. But you can't fucking play one game a week. And tell me that you're going to be ready to take a team to the next level. And he can say all he wants about, well, we didn't have time to gel. That's obviously your fault. You weren't willing to get vaccinated. So, you know, you put it on yourself and, you know, and it's, it's what it is. Like you can, you know, Zach Lowe was talking about how he wouldn't stop talking about chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. And Zach Lowe said, we know the reason for that. We know the reason you guys don't have chemistry. It's because you wouldn't get vaccinated and you wouldn't play. And everyone has said that I'm not, and you know, again, I'm just, I'm repeating, I'm parroting what others have said. I'm not inventing anything new there. But there comes a certain point when we have to ask ourselves, like, is Kyrie Irving a winning basketball player? Okay, he's a very good shot maker. He's not a good defender. He doesn't play that often at this point. He has been a negative on certain teammates, a positive on others. But what does Kyrie Irving bring to your team for so much money? And I understand that, The Nets are going to re-sign him because Kevin Durant wants them to. And that's it. And that's fine. I'm not trying to say that the Nets are going to move on from Kyrie Irving because they aren't. But all of this season, I had to hear about how the Nets had two of the greatest shot makers on the planet. And when it came to playoff time, all the other things wouldn't matter because they'd be able to get buckets at any time. And that was true in game one. And then it wasn't true again at all. I said it on the show with Brandon the other day. Kyrie's really good when he's playing on a football schedule. Hey, dog, I only play Sundays. I play one game a week. That's me. Cool, man. That's, you know, dog, I wish I could do that, for real. Like, I wish that I could fucking play. I wish I could work one day a week. I do. That's what Kyrie wants to do, and that's fine. Like, (laughs) you're going to be great on that one day. But this this is what comes from it. You're a seven seed, and you're bounced. And it's just, I'm just at a point where I don't, like, I wouldn't want my team to acquire Kyrie Irving. I wouldn't want Kyrie Irving to be a part of my franchise because it's going to bring way more problems than it does, you know, good things. And everyone will sit there and point to game one and like, well, but look, at, but it's one game. 
A whole season of drama and struggles and nightmares resulting in having to trade James Harden because he's sick of Kyrie Irving not showing up. And then you get swept in the playoffs, but you still want to point to game one and say, yeah, but look at those shots he can make when he's on. So fucking what? And I understand that he's Kevin Durant's best friend, and that's great. And the Nets have tied themselves to Kevin Durant, and they're going to tie themselves to Kyrie Irving, and they're never going to win anything. This Brooklyn team is never going to win anything, and that's fine. You know, you can just do what you want to do and play basketball together and be best friends. That's fine. But like Kyrie Irving, the Nets have to realize that signing Kyrie Irving is the death knell to your championship hopes. And NBA fans need to learn that Kyrie Irving is not a top player. He is a very good isolation scorer sometimes. But he is not a max player. He never should have been. He's just good. He's not great. He has games where he is an elite scorer. But he is not consistent. And, I mean, they didn't even win game one. So for all the, you know, hoopla about, well, he could do anything. He missed shots at the end. Kyrie doesn't bring positive to your franchise. He just brings drama. He brings negativity. And he brings a part-time player who isn't that particularly interested in basketball. Kyrie Irving is very good at basketball. He does not love it. That's okay, by the way. You don't need to love basketball in the way that some other dudes do. But this whole, like, I'd play basketball anywhere. It's me and KD. We just want to hoop. You, you don't love basketball. Kyrie Irving has has stated many times, like dating back to when he was like in his second year, there was a time where he was having a bad game and he told Cavs reporters he just felt disinterested in playing basketball. He doesn't love the game and that's okay. But he's not someone who like dies to play basketball. Look at the way Devin Booker is. He's in the gym every day. He works out every day. He wants to ball all the time. They look at every player on the Suns. They're shooting after the game. They're desperately trying to get shots up. They're still trying to improve their craft. That's not Kyrie. And that is okay. But stop telling me that he's that dude. Stop telling me that, well, Kyrie's got the sickest handle and he's the most skilled player on the planet and he's got this and he's blah, 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 but he's a problem. Yeah, he's a problem for the team that he's on, dog. Like, that's it, man. Kyrie doesn't bring wins to your organization. He just brings stress. The Nets are learning that and that's it for them. They're done. They're bounced from championship contention. I'm no longer considering the Nets a championship contender as long as Kyrie Irving is on that roster. That's it. Unless there are wholesale changes to the way that Kyrie operates. Like, what are you trying to tell me here? Ben Simmons literally won't play. Kyrie Irving mostly doesn't play. So it's just, you know, what what was it people were calling them? KD and the Miracles? KD and a bunch of G-Leaguers are supposed to carry this team to the playoffs every year. And then, then somehow Kyrie shows up for one game. Like, come on. This is bullshit. It's a bullshit way to do it. A team is about dudes who sacrifice and come together. And want to put in everything that they have to win a ring. Kyrie doesn't give a shit about that. Kyrie believes that the shot that he hit over Steph Curry to win a ring with the Cavs means he doesn't have to do a goddamn thing ever again. And maybe he's right. Maybe he's correct that he really doesn't have to do anything. But if I was a role player or, you know, a dude trying to just latch onto a team and win a title, I wouldn't choose the Nets. Because it's just going to be more drama than it is basketball. And that's it. Otherware, otherware, otherware. Hmm. I wonder if that's a new phrase that we could, uh, I think I was going to say elsewhere or other series. I don't know. Otherware, otherware in the NBA. 
Miami knocks the Hawks out. I don't think anyone is surprised at that. Um, it was really more surprising that the Hawks managed to win a game, truthfully. They looked really out of sorts in that series. And injuries were a problem, but the Hawks need to consolidate and they need to find a second guy who's really a guy. Because I think Capella's fine. Obviously, we, love, we all love Trey Young, but they got to find someone else. They got to... They need like a better version of DeAndre Hunter, like a scoring defensive wing. They need like a better version of that. They need a Jimmy Butler, to be honest with you, but I don't really know where you just go and get a Jimmy Butler. So what are you going to do? Milwaukee is leading the Bulls for about a few minutes. That looked like it theoretically could be a series. And then the Bucks came back and just stomped and stomped and proved why. I still consider the Bucks the best team in the East, and I believe they'll come out of the East because, again, you're the champions, and until someone, you know, knocks you off, you still hold the crown. And when Giannis can, you know, when he's playing at his peak, he's the best player in the world right now. So hard for me to see really anyone knocking them out. It's possible the Celtics could beat them. Um, you know, there there are possibilities, but I'm still picking the the Bucks to to come out of the East. And, you know, this series is pretty much proving why. Warriors are about to put Denver in a pine box. I'm, uh, I was wrong on that one. I picked. Uh, I thought Jokic would show out, and but you know Denver. Denver is just they're not deep and they're injured. And Golden State is healthier than I thought, and they're deeper than I thought. You know, Golden State is proving that you know some of their players really can be primetime performers. And Jordan Poole obviously has proven that he is you know a, a star type player. He is a scoring machine. He is just a walking bucket. And that development, you know, that it's not just a regular season thing that he really can hit from anywhere. And these high leverage situations, when you see Jordan Poole start to really do this in the playoffs, you really realize, I mean, they, they found another one. They developed another megastar scorer and they're just too much for the nuggets and they're going to sweep them out. I was just wrong on that one. Um, and then of course the Mavs jazz, I really want to go into Utah right now, but it hasn't happened yet. It's important to wait until the whole situation is is worked out for sure. But this looks really horrible for Utah. And if Dallas completes this thing with Luka not even playing the whole series and being injured when he came back after everything that Utah has gone through, it's going to be a pretty unbelievable shakeup this summer. Quinn Snyder will be gone. Rudy Gobert will maybe still be there. Donovan Mitchell, I think, will definitely be gone. I mean, Utah, as we know it, basically is done if they don't win this series. And even if they won this series, I'm not sure, you know, what would really occur, you know, in terms of if they stayed together. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is long for Utah. I really think Donovan Mitchell is playing for the Knicks next season. That's honestly what I think. I think that Donovan Mitchell is traded in a package that's like R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and first-round picks plus salary filler. You know, they all go back to Utah. Donovan Mitchell goes back to New York. That's what I think is going to happen, honestly. I really do. Because we all know Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to be in Utah. It's not working. Everything they do has failed. They're going to be hiring a new coach. And Tim McMahon has continued to insist. So here's the thing. A lot of people have said, well, you blow the team up, you trade Gobert, and you rebuild the team around Donovan Mitchell. Tim McMahon has continued to insist 
that Donovan Mitchell is not staying in Utah long-term. He has said that over and over and over. And Tim McMahon covers the Jazz pretty goddamn closely. And if he is openly stating that there's no chance that Donovan Mitchell plays his whole career in Utah, then you just get the assets you can get for him and start over. If you're Utah, there's no point. Don't let him walk. Don't. You've got him signed to a long-term deal right now. It's not working. His value is through the roof. Trade him. Get all the pieces you can and just start over. Try to find your next homegrown team because that's always what it's going to be in Utah. You've got to build a homegrown team. Your fan base sucks. They're racist. They're assholes. They yell at their own fucking players. You're never going to sign free agents. You're never going to build some super team. Your opportunity to win a championship is to draft well and build, you know, through homegrown means. And that is what they've been doing. And if they were smarter and had a better coach and a better GM, they might be able to put pieces around the guys that they have. But, you know, they're a, they're an organization that is constantly overrated. They're just halfway decent and they get looked at as one of the best in the league. And they're not. But if this collapse, if they fail this, believe me, I'll have so much more to say. And so will everyone else. And so will the teams that trade for their players. Because it'll be the end of this version of the Jazz, for sure. Finally, just real quick, I want to move off basketball and talk about the Debo Samuel situation with the 49ers. And, you know, a lot of people are angry with all the receiver movement this year. Oh, players have too much power. They're too demanding, blah, blah, blah. I personally love what Debo Samuel is doing. And I'm going to tell you why. Throughout the years, the NFL has used positionality to try to pay players less. So by way of example, when a player was a a defensive end and the NFL team would be franchise tagging him, they would often try to franchise tag him as a linebacker instead of as a defensive end because, you know, a lot of pass rushers will split positions between linebacker and defensive end. Defensive ends get paid more. So the NFL would always try to tag those players as a linebacker and say, oh, he spends 55% of his snaps in this position. He should be paid at this level, blah, blah, blah. The NFL has always used every single thing that they can to pay players less. Debo Samuel this year was used at a shockingly high rate for a receiver out of the backfield. Right. And it worked very well. He, you know, was dominating the 49ers were scoring. It was great. He had an unbelievable season. You know, it was like 2,000 scrimmage yards, 18 total touchdowns, whatever. The problem is that we know that teams don't value running backs. And while the 49ers would say, look at this versatile weapon we have, not only is he a receiver, but he's also a running back. Wow, how versatile he is on the field. In the negotiation room, they would say, well, look at this. You spend a lot of time as a running back, so we actually have to pay you less because you're not, you're not just a receiver. If you were just a receiver, we could pay you more, but you're so versatile that we're going to pay you less. That's fucking stupid, man. That's fucking stupid. And that's the way that the NFL operates. If you can do more and operate out of the backfield too, then we're going to pay you less. You were a more versatile, more useful weapon that could do more. So we want to give you less money. That's how the NFL operates and it's fucking stupid. Everything the NFL thinks is fucking stupid. They're old, they're decrepit, they're morons. And that's the way that they think. And San Francisco obviously presented Debo Samuel with a contract that was a fucking joke. And he was done with them at that point. 
And, you know, all this, well, maybe he doesn't want to live in San Francisco. Maybe he doesn't. No, dude, they presented him a joke contract and it pissed him the fuck off. And he doesn't want to be used like a running back by a team that presents him a joke fucking contract and says, we're not going to take seriously your concerns about being used too much out of the backfield. We just want to do it and pay you less. So if you go to them and say, hey, look, guys, I feel like you're devaluing me by playing me out of the backfield and I'm taking too many big hits. I'm not a running back. I'm a receiver. I want to be played and paid like a receiver. And the 49ers say, no, the fuck are you going to do? You're not going to demand a trade. Of course, you're going to demand a trade. Debo Samuel, every single fucking team in the league would want to get their hands on Debo Samuel. And if he came in and said, I want to be paid my fucking money and I don't want to be used out of the backfield all the time, every goddamn team is going to be like, okay, no problem. We'll find creative ways to use you and we're not going to get you beat up, blah, 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 blah. Other teams, dude, coaches are always convinced that they can figure it out and that they'll be the one. And, you know, I don't want to hear this. Well, other teams are concerned because what if he's not as valuable when he's not out of the backfield? The guy is incredibly fucking versatile, okay? The 49ers run a weird system. Put him in a system where you've got an elite quarterback who can actually throw the goddamn football. You're telling me that dude's not going to be great? Give me a fucking break. Give me a fucking break. Debo Samuel is awesome. He would be awesome anywhere. And this whole idea that somehow he's more versatile and worth worth more to San Francisco because they run a weird system, but he should be paid less because of that system. Like, it just, it's all fucking stupid. It's fucking stupid. And I support Debo Samuel for getting out of there. I I don't like the way that San Francisco does things. I don't like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. I don't like this whole thing. This is not college football, dog, okay? You don't get to sit here and tell me it's the system and the players don't matter. It's all about the system. And I'm such a genius and Charlie Weiss decided schematic advantage. You don't get to do that bullshit, okay? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any of the bullshit. I don't want to fucking hear it. It's nonsense. It's absolute just trash. Players make the league. Players make these things happen. Now, I understand that some coaches are going to scheme up stuff better and use guys to their advantage, sure. But San Francisco, under Kyle Shanahan, has won precisely dick. They blew a lead in the Super Bowl and otherwise, for the most part, don't even you know make the playoffs. I think this is fifth year he's made the playoffs twice, right? So it's not as if he's some genius. Sure, they've had injuries, but other guys have made the playoffs with injured teams. Kyle Shanahan is overrated. John Lynch is overrated. The 49ers are an interesting team that always gets put among the contenders when they aren't one. And Debo Samuel is right to want to trade out of an organization that doesn't respect him or understand how valuable he is. Good. And that's the Blunt Doctor Show. Let's go, sons. Let's close this thing out tomorrow night. And you know that if they do, I'll be back on the mic talking about it. Getting prepared for round two. Also, I just did another episode uh, of a show called A Podcast with Mo. You can uh, go check that out. It's on my Twitter. I've retweeted it. Also, I've, if you just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search A Podcast with Mo, most recent episode has The Blind Doctor on it. You can check that one out as well. And uh, I'll be on the Overstated NBA, so Overstated NBA show soon for round two. Um, Overstated NBA is a Facebook group that has a podcast. I'll be on that show shortly. So a lot of stuff coming from me and I'll be having a lot of other guests on here too. So just keep your eyes peeled. Lots of stuff coming in the future. Be good to you and yours in 2022. Let everyone that you know that you love them, love them. Let them know that you're their number one. They're your number one. Let them know they're a priority in your life. Be happy. 
Stay blessed. Peace.